millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back to the Beyond Terrestrial Podcast, your home for the strange, the macabre, the conspiratorial, and all things supernatural. I'm Dan Martson, coming to you from just down from the crossroads, where Robert Johnson made his infamous deal with the devil. As always, I'm joined by one of the founding fathers of Beyond Terrestrial, Mr. Lee Errett. Lee, how's it going? Um, it's going great. As he said, my name is Lee Errett, and I am coming to you from the Haunted Barn Studios in the Bell Witch's Backyard. And today we are continuing our episode on Skinwalker Ranch. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, guys, this is what happens when you talk with Lee for a couple hours about Skinwalker Ranch and realize you've talked a little too long. But join us for part two as we jump into a discussion about an interview with a Native American resident of the Uinta Basin, Mrs. Powagup. Lee, roll the tape. Beyonders, welcome back. Uh, I am happy to uh, bring to you the second portion of our audio. Dan, we were talking about an interview with a Native American woman. How did you pronounce her name? Because I can't do it. Uh, Powagum? Powagum? Powagum, I think is how they said it. I should have written it down phonetically. Um, I'm glad but, you write things down. I'm sorry, yeah. No, that's all right. I'm um, here for the poop jokes. Had, uh, like her interview, uh, to bring it back to a serious level, Lee, is kind Sorry. of like the emotional, like, cr- crux of this documentary. It's kind of in it's the, like the anchor of the. Yes, yes, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, she saw lights in the sky, um, and it was extremely bright, like a spotlight hitting her. Um, mm-hmm. Her neighbor came over later and had a burnt red face, like a terrible sunburn. Uh, he had seen the same thing. Yeah. Um, and she she starts to break down. She believes that uh, these encounters have actually spread illness throughout the community and affected her family. So... Um, she gets, she gets pretty broken up about it, Lee. Um, what, I I don't know, what kind of effects, um, do you think this is having on people out there? Well, one of the things that she brings up is her friend that came over, the neighbor that came over and explained, or like, you know, they talked about this situation and he's got this, what looks like a really bad sunburn, like to a point where it's, you know, it's pretty bad. Um, he ultimately passed away of, of cancer, a uh, fairly short time later. And she believes that that, um, that the light was what gave him the cancer. Um, uh-huh. as well as she also believes that it has affected her son negatively, um, which we have another interview that we discussed where, she, where her son is, um, in the interview with her. And, uh, I, I'd like to hold off on what his diagnosis was, but she believes that it affected her son negatively as well. And, to me, that 
some of the stuff, the cancer, um, the sunburn, um, it's somewhat reminiscent of radiation, but at the same time, it's, it's not at a level of radiation that, that you see in like the other, in like other abduction cases where they literally get radiation sickness. It was there enough radiation there to cause cancer. I mean, there's some theories that, uh, there was enough radiation in just dust blown from, um, our nuclear testing sites into other, uh, into cities in Nevada that ended up with a higher, um, cancer rate. So is it possible that it could just be low dose radiation? I don't know. Maybe, um, but some of the other things that she attributes to it, I don't know if it's the same thing. Like you, there is a, uh, at least a scientific connection between low dose radiation and cancer. Uh, some of the other illnesses, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, so this is the part where the documentary really moves towards the NIDS researchers and their stories. Um, it's, it's kind of set up, um, how they worked. It sets up the biosensing dog runs that they have. Um, they had a double wide moved onto the property. Uh, the Gormans were still out there working and living while, uh, Bob Bigelow had his team on site. Um, so they have a double wide moved in. And one of the researchers, Eric Davis, uh, tells a story about an orange glow, an orb that he saw in the sky. Uh, and it drops down into the mountains, not behind the mountains, but into the mountains and underground. Um, and they have, um, another tale about a orange portal in the sky. Lee, do you remember the portal story? I remember one of the portal stories and the one that sticks out to me there, they had a few portal stories, the one that really stuck out to me, they were setting, they were on a, they were on a mountaintop and I want to say it was, uh, it was Nat, Mr. Nap. Um, but maybe it was somebody else talking cause I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I got my, you know, my head got a little turned around at some point. Um, I promise I wasn't high, but that's what it kind of felt like at points. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of different people telling stories throughout this thing and it cuts back and forth. I mean, uh, it's trying to keep track of this documentary is pretty tough. We have one interview with the Native American lady and then let, later her and her son. We have multiple interviews with Colm Kelleher in this uh, documentary that are spaced out over all kinds of periods of time. His clothes are different in every other interview. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. But some of them, it seems like some of them are like from the first interview, but wasn't aired in the first portion of that interview. So they aired it later. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, moving on from that, it was a scene. Um, they were standing on a, like a, on a hilltop and they're looking down over the Valley. And I want to say it's the, it's the orange one. Cause I remember them saying that the, the portal came down to about road level and um, it's, it's coming from nap. And I believe Kelleher at the same time, they're telling this story uh, of the researcher standing up there watching this portal come down to about road level. And this is below them. So they're looking down on it and they witness an opening where you can see the, 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 the space on the other side, but from like around it, it looks like just where they normally are. And they literally see a like, cryptid like wolf like being with no neck and like it's like it's like a dog man like being kind of thing claw its way through the porthole and climb out and then just like walk away right but lee only visible in night vision goggles yes only visible in night entity was not seen in the visible spectrum but with night vision goggles, it looked like something crawled out from the portal. Um, Lee, I cannot think of uh, something that would that you could see like that that you could see in night vision, but not visibly. That doesn't I, make a whole lot of sense. I I can. Ooh. Yeah. Um. There is a. There is a newer cryptid that's been out there for a little while. Uh, they call him the Glimmer Man. And the Glimmer Man is... Uh, 
the best way to describe it is, do you know when when you're watching Predator and Predator is invisible, but he's still kind of visible? Yes. That is what the Glimmer Man supposedly is. Is a human being-like figure oh. that is... Um, that is just shrouded in, like, it's just invisible but visible all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And well, they, you know, um, active camouflage is going to be a thing. Like they've, the researchers say they are very close to making that work. Yes, yes, they do. So that mm-hmm. one, you know, it might be visible on the um, infrared spectrum. Uh, probably not in night vision though. That the only thing that would get me on the night vision is because of, uh, active camo likely being of a light bending aspect in order to, um, stay relatively invisible. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess it makes sense that since it's bending light, it would probably, mess with your night vision goggles since they're designed to take in as much light as possible. Maybe right. it would be visible on the night vision spectrum. Hmm. hmm. Well, who knows about the port? The portal I think is the best, uh, support the best story that supports the interdimensional theory of the skinwalker ranch. Um, one of the other stories that they tell, and this one I loved, um, was the flying RV slash tree trimming UFO. Um, the guy says it looked like a refrigerator. Yeah, it was this, you know, at first I thought it was an RV and then it, you know, it took off the ground and it looked, you know, it was the shape of a refrigerator. It was like a flying Winnebago, like from Spaceballs. <laughs> Oh, I, I just imagine Glarp in there. Like, <laughs> uh, his name was Barf Lee. Sorry, Barf. Barf. I apologize, John Candy. Yeah. I'm sorry. He's a mog, half man, half dog. He's his own best friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, so that was that was a weird one. Um, and then the next story, they interview a local out in Dark Canyon. And now this is one of the parts of the documentary I'm going to criticize a little bit. This dark canyon section went nowhere. Was it that one young lady in the white where every time, like, I had a really hard time with that. Was was it at night? Was it the one set at night? Yes, yes. And there was like a dude in a white hoodie in the background and sometimes he could see him and sometimes he couldn't. Exactly. That messed with me every time. I just stared at him. Like I was trying to figure out if it was a reflection or if he was in the background or what was going on because he wasn't moving very much. <laughs> so Yeah, it was weird. Sarah <laughs> and... came in here trying to feed me some ice cream. That's silly. Oh, Sarah. Yeah, she's sweet. Um... You know, her maiden name is Bigelow. She might be related to big money Bob Bigelow. Dude, wouldn't that be great? Like, all this bad-mouthing of Mr. Bigelow, and now um, we find out that we might have been able to get some endorsements? Crap. You know what? <laughs> I think I think the work that Mr. Bigelow does is fantastic, actually. Um, and I 100% support his efforts to seek the truth um, in the event that my wife might be entitled to a portion of his fortune. I would 100% uh, support his work. You know what? Now that you mention it, I really do think um, uh, Mr. Bigelow is uh, a very good guy. And he is, you know, you know, really bad mouthed in the media. And, and I just want to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, he's, he's a better guy than they think he is. Yeah, 100%. And you know what? He probably is a pretty legit dude. Um, I'd sit down and have a beer with him for sure, um, just to pick his brain, you know? He's a futurist. He's a seeker. He's a awesome guy, and he's got plenty of money. So if he picks up the tab, you know, no big deal. Thank you, Bob. I, I agree. I agree. He probably is a great guy. He's probably somebody great to talk to. Um Moving on from that, um, hopefully he's not a dick and doesn't get super pissed off at us right now. Yeah, sorry my (laughs) wife interrupted, but, um, you know, what can I say? She's got the same last name. So, so yeah, this Dark Canyon portion didn't really go anywhere. It's like, 
Um, they talk about places on the ranch that are super haunted, like the middle homestead and that sort of stuff in other locations. And then they kind of build up Dark Canyon, which has this ominous name. And the only story we get is from uh, this gal, Shelby, who was on a hike and saw some lights in the sky. Um, now, she does come back later with a story about uh, some lost time that she experienced later on, which is a bit of a trip, but uh, not really the payoff I was hoping for for a place that's called Dark Canyon. Yeah, and the, and the lost time story is... I don't know. It's a little bit... Uh, I think it's a less than legitimate lost time story. Like, it's one of those ones that's hard to corroborate because it was supposedly a night. She went to the kitchen... Um, and then she woke up a few hours later in the kitchen and lost all that time. Did she just fall asleep standing up? <laughs> yeah, like it sounds like a pretty common sleepwalking story. To exactly. Be exactly. It sounds like she went to the kitchen where she was barely awake and then she just stood there in the kitchen asleep for a while. I'm, I'm not saying that she's didn't experience something weird, but it sounds like a pretty common sleepwalking story. Right. So... At this point, we go back to some of our NIDS researchers. Um, they're telling us about how these beings have avoided detection, whatever this entity, this phenomenon is. Um, one of them uses the term precognitive to describe its abilities. And then they drop what is supposed to be like the big story, Lee. Which, honestly, I, I don't know. It doesn't really feel like the big story. Um, but it's the it's the bull and trailer story, Lee. Um, tell us about this incident. Let's hear from some of our friends at Fourth Hand. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the waste vessel, the Black Swirl. It's ongoing mission to explore strange news stories, to seek out new laughs and new absurdity, to boldly go where no sci-fi podcast has gone before. Welcome to Close Encounters of the Slurred Kind. All right, so uh, Mr. Gorman has, uh, I believe it was four, prized bull. Yes. Now, Gorman is, a, you know, he's got a background in animal husbandry. He knows his stuff. Like, this guy is not, he's not a unsubstantiated witness. This guy is one of, the, like, he's got a background in some scientists like scientific background yeah, he has a, he has a college degree yeah he's got um, he's a it's real a, it's a bs so yeah he knows what he's doing yeah and it, it's it is a real scientific um thought process he is good at his job and his job is breeding cattle essentially mm-hmm. so he's got four prized bull and these bull are um they're worth some money they're his pride and joy uh one day the bull are gone and he loses it. He's trying to find them everywhere. Ultimately they are located in the back of a, well, isn't it a stock trailer? And this is where I'm a little confused. No, it looks, it looks more like a container that they've converted into like a tack shed or something like that. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe it is like a container in any case. It's a fairly large area. I mean, it's not a small the thing, but it is supposedly sealed off. The bull are located there inside that trailer, and the trailer is supposedly have been sealed off for quite a while, um, and it had been locked essentially. And now the bull are in there, and they don't know how they got in there. Well, let's go back to the kids messing with them. Is that a possibility? Ah, uh, that one I think is kind of probable. Like. If, if I was a teenage boy and I wanted to mess with my uh, my rancher father, I might do something like that. 
I'm not going to move yeah. a cord of wood, but I might move the bulls into a, a trailer just to screw with my dad. <laughs> like, well, and now here's the thing. This is this is a weird story, Lee. Um, first off, they're they're gone for like an hour. Uh, Gorman and his wife. Uh, his wife comments like, "We would be really hurting if anything happened to those bulls." Uh, they leave for like an hour, come back up, and like, oh my gosh, the bulls are gone. Right? Um, the door was wired shut, and the door on the other end of this uh, trailer is boarded shut. So there's no entrance for these bulls. And looking at the step into it, I'm like, I'm not sure how a bull would, there, like, it couldn't use the step it would have to go full on up into the trailer, like jump up in there. So I was, I was like, Hmm, but they're like, it would be impossible to get these four bulls into this trailer. All right. I'm like, so let's debunk that. that. Let's debunk that because we already know that it is a ranch. Oftentimes on ranches, they have what these things called mobile shoots. And a mobile chute is exactly what it's called. It is a chute. It is a, a tool that they use to load animals onto trailers. Many of them are designed to be able to be moved throughout the ranch however they need them to be. And essentially what it is is a fenced-off ramp that allows you to guide these animals up into, the, into whatever trailer you're getting them in. Once again, I'm back to the kids. Yeah. Well, and... Again, uh, it's a ranch. These bulls have probably been loaded up into trailers before, right? Um, so it's not completely improbable. I, it's uh, it's very unlikely that you'd fit four of them into this trailer because it is pretty small. Mm-hmm. It's not a 53-foot shipping container. It's probably half of that size white. It almost looks like... Um, like a box like something trailer. Yeah, like for pods or something like that. I mean, yeah. um, so it's, it is highly unlikely that they would get in there. And now they couldn't get in there with the door wired shut, obviously. Um, a bull's not going to get up there like with its tongue <laughs> and unwire the latch. I don't know, um, their tongues are pretty prehensile, though. Maybe they did. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but <laughs> But a person who was determined could probably do it. Um, the thing is, when the Gormans get back and open up the trailers, the bulls lose it and tear that place apart. So, for that, it seemed, he said they seemed like they were in some kind of trance. Very docile. So, maybe, but, uh, I don't know. This was, this is a weird story, Lee, and I think it's really weird that it's chosen to be like one of the peak stories of weirdness at the ranch. So I'm not an expert in bull like actions. So I'm not trying to say that I know what happened here. Um, but I do have a dog and just a little while ago I had to run inside real quick and I kind of came barreling into the house fairly quickly and my dog straight up lost it. Right. She thought we were being robbed or there was some there was some spooky guy coming. I don't know what happened, but she just straight up lost it. She was mad. Um, and I had to, you know, whoa, 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 I'm, I'm, look who I am. Do you think a bull could get startled like maybe my dog kind of did? Oh, yeah, 100%. Are you kidding me? You could spook a bull so easy? Oh, yeah. Let's say these bulls are trapped in a dark cage. Um, because it is not a windowed trailer like you would expect. Mm. And all of a ah. sudden, the door opens. And Mr. Gorman, who is probably kind of agitated, maybe he opens it a little bit quickly. Um, or no, what the hell? What the hell? What the hell is going on here? Right? Or what something the like hell? that. God you kind damn of get it, Bobby. It. I thought I told you. <laughs> so... I'm not trying to debunk this story. I, I know it's like one of the, the the core things, but there is a lot of holes that I think can be explained. Like, I'm telling you, those mobile chutes are fairly easy to move around. And once again, 
if I was somebody related to the family that had some knowledge of where to get a hold of that, um, as as is maybe a teenager or maybe a neighbor that's just a dick, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I think bulletproof wolf and entity crawling from a portal are way way creepier. Exactly. Than bulls in trailer. So exactly. You know, bulls in trailer. Me. Bulls in trailer. High school prank. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Bulletproof wolf, um, so, something creepy as shit. Yeah, weird, weird. Um, so they move from the bull's story to a tales of cattle mutilations. Um, one that got me was this uh, calf that they had all splayed out, and it was a very new calf, uh, uh-huh. just born like the day before. So that was pretty messed up. Um clean cuts all throughout one of the ears completely cut off the tagged ear um and necropsy revealed the cuts to be extremely clean and precise uh made with sharp instruments so um yeah that's pretty messed up and the one of the things that got me about this partly was not only the graphic nature of it um but also the low frequency sound that yes. the documentary was using. That was a thing throughout. Like there was just some weird vo- like sound choices. And, and I'm, I'm like automatically like back to that first scene. They had some weird musical score with that as well. And, and I, at first I was like, Oh, this is kind of weird and jarring. And then I went back to, our, I started thinking of our theme song and I was like, well, I guess it's not that bad, but <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm with you. There was some like awkward like scoring on the, and, and it just kind of got you. And you start to wonder, did they choose this music specifically because it was like low frequency? It's like that um, bordering on infrasound kind of level. Um, those yeah. kind of sounds that just automatically put you into a um, nervous and conspiratorial mood. Um, mm-hmm. I don't hate the idea. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, and later on, they actually talk with the ranch's new owner, and we'll get into that, but he mentions infrasound, too, so I wonder if they just uh, were like, oh, yeah, this will be perfect, this fits with what we're doing, Um, but anyways, the events that we've talked about, you may have noticed, there's not very much repetition. Um, It seems like this thing was constantly changing and evolving. Again, that reminds me a little bit of uh, the Bell Witch story. Like Again, that poltergeist seemed to evolve over time. Um, and yeah, it did a bunch of the same things over. But I don't know. It's just, it's just weird to me that if something strange is happening there, it's not happening the same way over and over again. Yeah, and and that's one of the things. That's one of the key points of the documentary itself is that there's there's very little, if if any, repetition. They, at one time, it's it's the you know Skinwalker like um, it's you know bulletproof wolf. And uh, by the way, bulletproof wolf, I love that. Um, the next day, it's um, it's cabinet doors opening, and um, and then the next day, it's you know a bull's being put in a china shop it's just kind of weird stuff did you like that i chose that one specific yeah no that was very goodly yeah um it's it's crazy how this can go from um like murderous native legend wolf to lights in the sky to childish pranks to uh machines inhuman voices above you uh creatures crawling out of unseen portals like it's just it's strange how it's all of this stuff now would that make some sense in the interdimensional theory uh like this is a place where reality is thin and you might be seeing not just um you know future entities but maybe things from the past as well. Uh, Lee, I know in your interdimensional Bigfoot theory that ties all of this together, 
time slips are included. So past, future, aliens, uh, extra dimensions, cryptids all work together. Even uh, ghosts and poltergeists could all work together in this theory. And yeah, and that's that's kind of where I'm going with like the Skinwalker Ranch is probably one of the better examples of why I think that it's very possible that it's not that that we're having people visit us from outer space necessarily um, that have traveled across the, you know, billions of light years it would take to get here from there, you know, from where they are more that it is. Something that's traveling that's literally closer to us. If you look at the time slip thought process and and you say, hey, maybe it's allowing different times to move between. Okay, that allows dire wolves who have never seen a human being, by the way, um, to come up and uh, all of a sudden they see what looks like a prey animal to them. And they're like, oh, great. Right. So they're inquisitive about a I don't know. I'm just like throwing things out here. And then you look at, um, you know, a futuristic Winnebago. Could that be somebody from the future studying us? Maybe. Um, And then you look at things underground and stuff like that. Is that something from the future or maybe the past? I mean, we're talking the desert of Utah. Uh, There is a lot of. In the Utah area the utah idaho in that area there is minerals lots of minerals idaho is called the gem state for a reason this is fairly close to idaho um is it possible that that you know there's a, a a vein of some sort of mineral that's found in the future or or was there in the past that we just don't know about yet right and that's what they're hearing there I don't know, um, but it's probably one of the better examples of that. Uh, for most of the things that were described, there is a there is something that could be like earth based that is that it could be like like the dire wolf one. I really like that example of the dire wolf. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now, Lee, I've got an idea here. I'm going to, I, you said minerals uh-huh. and I, uh, this idea came to my head so perfectly clear. Okay. Here, here's why the aliens are coming to Skinwalker Ranch, Lee. Okay. Maybe they're, maybe they're futuristic evolved humans. Um, okay. Maybe they're aliens from another planet who visit the earth in the future um, and travel through these interdimensional portals. Who knows? Whatever they're coming for, it's in the ground, right? Mm-hmm. You're talking about minerals. It's some kind of special thing. Maybe we don't even know about. Maybe it's unobtainium, you know? Um, exactly. Going full avatar. They're coming for this thing. Maybe it doesn't exist in the future Earth. Maybe it's a radioactive element that has a certain half-life. They have to be here to get it now. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe it's extremely rare. Maybe this is is just how they do it. Just wherever they can find it, they go get it. Exactly. Um, So who knows? Something's going on. Um, So we get into the interview with the new owner and in the documentary he is filmed from the neck down he's wearing all black um i mean you might be able to identify him by his watch but you can't really get a good look at it and they give him the robo voice lee oh yeah don't they have like a don't they have like a a face mask on him just in case the camera accidentally panned up a little bit too like i caught little glimpses of a of a like a like a ski mask like thing uh, just up to his nose essentially maybe um it was it was you i mean his chin drops down into a couple of the shots so um i don't know but the thing is um you know they have promised not to reveal the owner's identity um and that's one of George Knapp's big things, even if it was made public in the future, which it just so happens, Lee, it has it been, has been made public. 
Um, the guy's name is Brandon Fugel. Mm-hmm. He's a real estate developer in Utah, uh, Salt Lake City. Go figure. Weird, right? Um, and he didn't want his name out there for a while because he thought it would impact his uh, actual day job, like his professional life. Or until he could build up enough um, weirdness around his story, around the a ranch, to where maybe he can either sell it for a significant amount of money or build some sort of theme park. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't subscribe to the theme park conspiracy because um, Northern Utah already has an awesome theme park, Lagoon. Go check it out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but does it have a paranormal um, themed park? Yeah, you know, I I don't think there's a lot of money there, Leah. To be honest, uh, I think it was hyped up intentionally, and he wanted the mystery to remain um, until they could cut a TV deal. Honestly, one like that's one hundred percent. Now that the TV deal's done, uh, the shows are in the can. The History Channel is going to be putting it all out there. They'll probably trot out uh, what's-his-face from Ancient Aliens with his crazy hair through the desert so he can go see the famous Skinwalker Ranch. You know what? And they're um, going to get they're going to get the Lagina brothers, too, because um, they're airing that like crazy on the... Because don't get me wrong. I watch that show. I watch The Curse of Oak Island um, occasionally. And uh, and that was when I first saw the the advertisement for the Skinwalker Ranch uh, show. Um, so you know, because they're the same producers, the Lagina brothers are going to be there to help dig or something, because they're coming up to the end of their uh, their thing here. So yeah, well, and then here's another thing, Lee, and I just want to throw this out there. Um, this is pretty conspiratorial, and I don't have any evidence, but my I do butter. know. Yeah, see, this now you're rubbing off on me, Lee. You really are. Um, I know it's been my experience that big money doesn't move around in the state of Utah without the Mormons being involved. Oh. Mm-hmm. So the, I'm not saying I'm not saying they're like the silent partner in Skinwalker Ridge. Um, but this guy uh, did a lot of real estate developments in Salt Lake City, hand in hand with the church. So there's definitely some relationship between him and them. Um, how, how deep it goes, I couldn't say, to be honest. You'd have to go through all the paperwork. Um and that's a lot of people could already uh, already guess that this Brandon Fugel was the owner uh, by going through and looking at um, the the paperwork for the sale. Uh, so they, they just kind of knew all along that this was the guy. The question is, what other connections does he have? Um, is it all his money? And what's his plan for the ranch going forward? Okay. My question is, now you got me going. What would the church's oh, interest What go. would the church's interest be in the ranch? I, I don't know, seer stones? Okay. All right, seer stones. Um that there's um I don't want I'm I'm not I'm one of the least anti-Mormon people you've ever met. I love Mormons. They're some of my best friends. But there's a lot of weird stuff in Mormon theology um that kind of goes along with this. Um there's a story that Cain still walks the earth as a cryptid and he's like Bigfoot. Um have you heard that one before? No. Oh the my Wandering gosh. Cain? Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, so there you go. Um you know, the Heavenly Father lives near a star called um, Cobol or something like that. I've heard of the Cobol. Um, yeah. 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 So there's there's like space stuff. There's um, this idea of infinity that they have, which is kind of weird. Uh, I don't know. And there's mysticism involved in it. Like Joseph Smith used a rock 
to decipher the Book of Mormon. I mean, <laughs> a magical rock. So who knows what they could want with something like Skinwalker Ranch? I mean, your guess is as good as mine. Okay. I don't. I don't think uh, like. I'm not saying they are involved. Uh, they're probably not, honestly. But you're ta- if you're talking about big money, big real estate deals in the state of Utah, uh, there's always there's always the Mormons out there. You always got to wonder about what they're doing. Well, and you think about that. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be the Mormons involved. It could just be that. Um, Mr. Fugel is Mormon and he's related to the church because it's part of his religion. And that is, that is a big part of their lives. Like when they, when, when you are a Mormon, you are like in the church and it is a very big part of your life. It is the most important part of your life next to your family and your family is part of the church too. So, um, right. Well, and, um, you know, Mormons actually pretty well known for their business dealings. They mm-hmm. they tend to be pretty business savvy. So who knows? Like all kinds of stuff. And again, um, you would never find out about it uh, if the church was involved because they don't have to reveal anything. Um, allegedly, they have a hundred billion dollars in the bank that they're just sitting on. Um you know, maybe some of that is used for real estate and a lot. Well, we know a lot of that is used in real estate investments all around the world. Um, so who knows? Who knows, Lee? This is that's my conspiracy theory for the day. OK, I love it. I liked it. It's good. So feel good. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a good one. <laughs> um, so the the documentary kind of comes to an end. Um, with like another fireside chat, they're all just sitting around the fire, and George is telling them stories <laughs> about the the ranch and his experiences there. And it's um, I don't know, it's kind of nice. Uh, it's like the it's like watching the last night of a nice camping trip. I actually like the fireside um conversations in this thing. There's just some weird choices otherwise, you know. Yeah, uh, the like I said, the movie goes up and down and back and forth quite a bit. So, I mean, uh, whatever. Um, it, it's a weird story. Like, how do you plot it out? Like, how do you plot out this Skinwalker Ranch story? I do not uh, envy the filmmakers oh, at all. No. This is a difficult one to get through. Oh, no. Do you go um, chronologically? Because if you go chronologically, it's it's still weird. It's still strange. Makes no sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's so difficult to do. Um, I mean, honestly, I I feel sorry for our listeners who are trying to put all this together because I don't think we've made a lot of sense. Oh, no. We've made no sense whatsoever. You know, there's like one listener out there that's got like uh, like a map of the, <laughs> the Skinwalker Ranch. And he's the, like putting red, pins in the it red, red string. string the... And he's just like at this point, he's just like sitting back in like an easy chair holding his head and just being like, what the hell? Like, he, no, he, he, he just takes a step back, holding a cup of coffee and just nods knowingly. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. Hey Dan, well, I know we're close to a close out of this, but we've got a few more minutes left. How about before we head into those few more minutes, why don't we take another break? Hey, you guys. A very Brady podcast. Join host Tack Van Sickle and his guest each week as they hilariously dissect the iconic TV show, The Brady Bunch, one episode at a time. He was so creepy, though. Like, I was like, <laughs> no. he's like, I guarantee you, if they could have really done the show the way they want to do it, like, he was going to have a cup to the door listening in that night. <laughs> <laughs> a look back at a simpler time where everything was groovy. <laughs> so her kids almost wrecked their marriage. Her employee shames her, and she, like, thanks both of them. It's awesome. So grab your potato sack and head out to the backyard for some fun. She's in her own room. Like, did, what did we like, tell what? her about sleeping? <laughs> like, they went and got the entire family for Dad to pick her up and put her in her bed two feet away from the desk. And obviously, before they did that, they also said, family, go get your bathrobes. Everyone needs to be in a bathroom. A Very Brady Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, 
Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere podcasts are available. They have some compromising pictures of Alice that they could have used uh, to blackmail her and keep her there. Um, I've seen those pictures, and Alice is hotter than you think. I'm going to just put that out there and say it. Uh, that blue dress doesn't do justice? Uh, no, it does. For, for me, that blue dress does everything. Far out. Poor You're man, a bad man, Tack. You're a bad human. There's a lot of weird in this show. All right, Beyonders, welcome back. We have regaled you with tales of Skinwalker Ranch, all related to the documentary on Amazon Prime, Hunt for the Skinwalker. Um, it was definitely worth, uh, you know, what is it, three, four bucks to rent. Three ninety nine um, to rent. It was definitely worth that. Yeah. It's two hours long, so be prepared. It is pretty lengthy. But oh, yeah, I fell asleep the first through... time I, I went through it. <laughs> it goes through all of these stories. That's why we couldn't record last night. You fell asleep on the couch, you son I, of a bitch. I did, and then uh, I woke up. I'm like, shit, I'm not going to be able to keep this up. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, it's it's tough to follow. Um, sit down, grab some popcorn, and lean into it like pay attention because it definitely deserves that um it is it's really good we made fun but it is actually very informative and honestly george knapp is one of those uh storytellers that can really pull you in um so i really appreciated his uh effort in this the last thing i want to touch on lee and this is where we're getting into the uh, connection between the Pentagon and Bob Bigelow and a lot of the news that's been put out. Um, it was revealed that as part of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP, um, a significant amount of taxpayer money was given to Bigelow Aerospace uh, to investigate stuff that was going on at Skinwalker Ranch. Well, yeah, that happened. Um, if you're talking about the government and Bob Bigelow, he is he's in a really weird space. Okay, so if you look at what Bob Bigelow has done, Bob Bigelow has pieces of his technology up on the International Space Station. Um, Uh supposedly he has his own, um, like, well, like personal satellites, essentially. They refer to him as the own personal, like research stations, but I don't think he's got that. I think it's more like satellites in space. I don't think he's got manned research stations up there aside from as part of his stuff being on the international space station. Um, right. But. He's in a weird space because he is. He's so embedded in the weird stuff. And he is so embedded in the space culture. Like, he's he's got himself into a place where he gets those government contracts that nobody else is going to. The reason he gets those government contracts that nobody else is going to is because he's already established himself with the UFO community to a point where they're, they they trust him. If they keep him at arm's length, there is a lot of people out there that say Bob Bigelow, you know, you know, he's he's just like like he's got some shady dealings. I get that. But there is no researcher out there that researches the weird and paranormal that doesn't know about him, hasn't been involved with him in at least a small amount. And it's mainly because he's got the money to throw some money their way so they can conduct their research. Right. Well, of course he's got shady dealings. He's getting top secret government contracts. We're talking to the tune of $22 million in taxpayer money. Um, And I think this was around 2008, 2010, that sort of time, that we're just finding out about now. So It's the catch-22 of the government. And I hate to say it, while I hate the fact that the government can't be 100% transparent with the um, American people. I have to admit that I have to, that I understand why 
the government keeps black projects going. Why they don't tell us everything that they're doing. Because we can't keep a secret. Hell, we can't even be told about a virus and not go out and buy out the stores of toilet paper. How are we going to keep a secret um, from the Russians or from whoever might be our enemy at that time that we're researching something that might be earth shattering? Uh You know what, Lee? I have a bit of a different theory. And this I'm going to tie into um, what's going on right now on UFO Twitter and all over with um, the To The Stars Academy it really seems to me like this is a dedicated misinformation operation. Okay. All right. Um, tell me more about your thoughts on that. I can see where it could be a misinformation operation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's just, it's a vibe that I, that I get off of this thing. Um, they pay Bob Bigelow all of this money. Um, we know that he, can actually he has aerospace chops he's got an aerospace company um that has done all kinds of government contracting so we know he knows about this sort of thing but then they give him money to do this weird ufo side project uh why wouldn't you give him money to give you something tangible right so you're saying maybe the uh, the money going into the UFO side project was actually being the side project was a a a, a, a shadow or a um, a mask for where that money was really going. Yeah. Well, and now maybe there's a possibility that they're looking at um, next generation aircraft that have capabilities that they maybe haven't thought of. Maybe they're using the UFO community as like an idea incubator for stuff that they want to try and do. Um, but I don't know. It just seems really odd to me. Um, and then, uh, there was a, a piece I read recently. Um, and I think that we've shared it on our Twitter page, um, about, Bob Bigelow's relationship to uh, MUFON and some of these other organizations that were paid to deliver reports that went to the government on um, all kinds of different aircraft capabilities. Uh, It just seems a little bit odd. And then now you have Tom DeLong, who is past all this information at the Lockheed Skunk Works. You see how this is all coming from these aerospace guys? Maybe it's to throw us off what they're working on. You get what I mean? Okay. So let let's let's break that down a little bit. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's say hypothetically, they needed a place where they could conduct experiments, where there was some people watching, to make sure those experiments worked. So. Let's say they're testing active camouflage. Let's go back to that one. Yeah. What would be a good way to make sure your active camouflage worked correctly? Put it up there for people to see. But it, And make sure there's attention to it. But uh-huh. see if it is identifiable at the same time. Uh-huh. And then it helps if the people who are doing the identification... Sound just a little bit crazy. Oh my god. Dan. <laughs> we just blew the lid off this thing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my god, Dan. <laughs> like, I can just I can see it now. I can see okay. I can see government agents coming out and fucking with these people. Literally mm-hmm. just to make them seem crazy but also trying to do it in a way or trying to use new technology to test how well it works let's say active active camouflage let's say Mm -hmm. maybe we're a lot farther along with um i guess interdimensional travel than the the than we actually thought we were i'm not saying that that's actually a possibility i'm just saying that maybe we are 
maybe that's why we see somebody in active camouflage crawling out of a um, crawling out of a portal or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, but if you just go to the trickster aspect, if you just go to the weird things happening and just go to the cattle mutilations, a person like just testing the capability of camouflage and new aircraft techniques and new aircraft camouflage and new like camouflage transports, you automatically come to a, to a thought process that almost all that stuff's possible um, with technology we have today. If you think uh-huh. that there's just a small jump in our technological capabilities and a small jump means we're actually quite a bit farther along in like active camouflage technology. Um, you get a little bit stranger when you start talking about the portals. Um, uh-huh. But do you? You know what I mean? Like, Maybe maybe they're not portals at all. Maybe they're just uh, a stage of this active camouflage, and that's why it looks like something comes out of them, um, and why it looks different in night vision, mm-hmm. and why maybe a observer in the physical spectrum could not identify what was coming out of that. Um, well, if you look at the balls of light, let's say... What if hypothetically the active camouflage is not just working on the human being on, in whatever suit they're in, but on the on the transport that they're in? Okay, so they've decided to use circular doors for whatever stupid ass reason. Um, but let's say they hyperlight the backdrop in or the the inside of the vehicle, whatever vehicle it is, and then they open the door and the person in active camouflage comes out. Um. To mask whatever it is. Now all you're seeing is a bright light in the sky and maybe um, the like the camouflage person climbing out of it rather than the interior or whatever craft it may be. Well, and who knows about, uh, you know, lighting these craft, hyper lighting them. Maybe it's the opposite. Maybe they're trying to employ the active camouflage on the aircraft. Mm hmm. Um, and that's why it appears very strange to us observers on the ground, this absolutely new technology that none of us know anything about. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're right. It couldn't, maybe it's not even portals at all. Maybe it's literally just a door to some sort of aircraft that is hidden to us from the outside. And the only part that we see is that open door and that open door from the outside looking Mm -hmm. in is strange because of the active camouflage that's working on it. And who knows, maybe some of these, uh, like, fantastic turns and stops and all kinds of things are um, maybe how we're perceiving this active camouflage. Again, we're talking about bending light um, around something, refracting it in some way um, so that it looks different. So maybe it is like uh, some sort of illusion that to us... We would say, oh, that's got to be an inhuman craft. But what it really is, is uh, this advanced technology playing tricks on our mind. Absolutely. It's bending light. So you have to imagine that occasionally that that may malfunction and maybe the way that it or not necessarily malfunction, but the way the light is bent doesn't work out exactly as planned. And then all of a sudden you see this light go from this angle and just just shoot up in a different direction. Um, uh-huh. And if, if the, let's say the aircraft is actually moving in a way that is technically possible for our current aircraft to do, um, but the way the light shifts as it moves at that angle, banks or whatever you want to call it, makes it look like it takes a crazy right angle turn or something. I get uh-huh. you. I'm with you. Yeah. The, the biggest thing and there is sound. Like... Where does the sound, how does the sound get blocked? Uh, that would be my big question. Because uh, we uh-huh. can, we're close on active camouflage. Are we really that close on blocking sound? On completely masking the sound of a, of a jet. Or a um, helicopter, I mean, you know, or, or something well, similar? They're, they're a lot closer with helicopters than you think. Um, we, we all remember the Bin Laden raid. Uh-huh. Uh, that helicopter had a lot of sound dampening equipment on it. Okay. And when one of them crashed, it had to be scuttled to try and prevent um, anyone from figuring out how exactly that works. 
Oh, really? Well, and oh, yes. and if you think about it, we have um, we have sound canceling headphones. Um, maybe they've. Oh well, Lee, Lee, do you know how sound canceling headphones work? They emit a um, sound wave that is like exactly opposite of the original of the original sound, and uh, that can't or that basically makes it wash out. Yeah, exactly. So is it possible that the aircraft itself has the ability to wash out its own sound with its own wave? Maybe, maybe if it was flying at a subsonic speed, I'm, I might be with you there. I don't know what would happen uh, if that aircraft were to break the sound barrier, because now you're talking about uh, like the physics of the air on the... Mm-hmm on the nose of the craft. You know what I mean? Yeah. But we're not necessarily um, talking about breaking sound barrier here. Um, even yeah, if it was, it could, it could all be subsonic. Yeah. yeah. Even if it was, um, even if it was two aircrafts utilizing the technology on each other in order to blanket it or whatever, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I don't know. Oh yeah. Ooh. I don't know. I don't know what exactly is going on, but I have a sneaking suspicion that these aerospace dudes who are working on the next generation of uh, some kind of fighter, you know, these skunk work guys, they they have a much better idea. Um, and we won't find out about it until 20 years from now when that craft that they're working on is being retired uh, is actually <laughs> is is rolled out into production. You know, like, OK, here's. You know, the F-86, you know. I I disagree with that. Um, We didn't know about the capabilities of a lot of our aircraft until well after they were in production and close to retirement. Um, They rolled out some technological aircraft, but if you talk about things like the SR-71 or or just the stealth bomber, um, we didn't know about the stealth yeah. bomber being in in existence for almost twenty years before we even knew about it, um, and then years after that before we actually knew like what its capabilities really were. So uh-huh. I- I'm saying it we're probably closer to retirement of the technology before they ever actually tell yeah. us much about it, well, especially if you're talking about high high stealth technology. Yeah, well, I remember I remember. Uh, when the Gulf War happened, the first one, Gulf War One, um, that was when people were really introduced to like stealth fighters and stealth bombers and that sort of technology. But you're right; this had been in development for decades before, um, and it wasn't until those planes were actually flying and in use and mass produced um, that people were like, "Oh yeah, now this is a thing." Yeah. Um, so it was, it wasn't until they were already in the skies dropping bombs and we were like, oh yeah, by the way, um, you can't see this on radar, but they still didn't tell you about the full capabilities of it really for another 20 years. So no, well, and they're, they're never going to go into the, uh, full specs, you know, that's, that's Mm -hmm. operational details that don't need to be shared with the public necessarily. Um, that being said, I don't fault them for I, it. I'm just saying that it, it's something that they have to keep secret so that our our uh, enemies don't get the technology. If they kept, if they gave us yeah. too much information, they would show other people um, and other countries what they need to research to potentially defeat us. So, uh-huh. yeah. So, like I said, Lee, uh, that's just the vibe I've been getting. Like, it seems like this is some kind of advanced aerospace deal to either check on what they're doing like this is all human made craft and the UFO part of it is 100% misinformation um or I don't know that's just my that's my theory on the whole thing um as of now uh, or it's interdimensional Bigfoot It's it's gotta be one of the two <laughs> Really, that's the only two explanations that make sense at all. Like, it is something government ran, and it is high technology being experimented with, or it's something interdimensional. Not necessarily Bigfoot, but something interdimensional. Um, 
Right. I like to assume it's probably Bigfoot, but, you know. Well, Lee, we'll see going forward. You take the uh, interdimensional traveler side, and we'll see if this interdimensional Bigfoot pops up. And I'll take the weird government uh, advanced technology side, and we'll see which one pays off. All right. So this is, as as Dan just kind of hinted at, this is going to be a multi-parter. Um, we're already fairly long on this recording, um, and we're probably going to be coming back with at least one more episode. I'm not going to make any promises on how many more, but we are going to be um, doing more research into the Skinwalker Ranch because it's one of those topics that you can't just uh, can't just do one episode on. Am I right, Dan? No, for sure, guys. Um, this is we've gone down the rabbit hole here. We've shared a lot of our ideas, so. Keep tuning in. We'll be back next week with another tale from out there, Beyond Terrestrial. Thank you for listening to Beyond Terrestrial Podcast. You can check us out on Apple Pod, Google Play, and other major podcast platforms. And if you want to keep up with the show goings on, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Beyond T Pod. That's Beyond the Letter T Pod. And as always, you can get all of that information as well as show notes and episodes as they come out on BeyondTerrestrial.com. That's right, we got the .com. And if you want to help out the show, Give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or a like and a review wherever you listen to Beyond Terrestrial. You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.